Let's talk about Benedict Matherin heading into his second year. Where should fans feel about him heading into year two? Really high? Really low? And what skills does he need to work on and grow? We'll cover all of it today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. Still workshop a new intro. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we're not talking about Jonathan Taylor. We are the Indiana Sports Podcast talking about Benedict Matherin because, boy, do I have a lot of thoughts on this I want to get to heading into his second season. Where does the fan base feel on him, but where should they feel on him? And I'm going to boil it all down to the one stat that I've always referenced on him as to why I am really high on him as a player, but why I understand his future with the Pacers is more than just this stat. And boy, did I break out some numbers today. We're talking all sorts of historical comparisons, and you're going to hear some famous names today. So what got me wanting to talk about Ben Matherin? Good question, listener who didn't actually ask that question. Um, Craig Lindemann, one of my favorites to follow in the world of X, Twitter, whatever. I don't know if I would say Craig is in Pacers Twitter or not, Um, but he tweets about the Pacers all the time. One of my favorite follows, give him a follow at CEL in Pursuit, was talking about Matherin uh, a little earlier this week. Quote, tweeting a tweet about Matherin, and he said, I feel like I've gone from being higher than most on Ben to being much lower than most, and my assessment of him has barely moved. And I thought that was really interesting. So I replied and I said, that's so funny because I, Tony East, feel the exact opposite in terms of lower than everyone at first and higher now with no assessment movement. So what got us to this point with Matherin, right? He started off so well. Everything was on display. He was getting to the rim and scoring. He was hitting threes. He was this microwave beast off the bench, a leader for rookie of the year for like a month and a half. And then teams adjusted to him and figure out that he was this great ISO score. His shot kind of tapered off. The defense didn't quite grow a ton over the first year. And he finished the season as maybe the third or fourth best rookie in the NBA. Still a great rookie season. And he had some high skills. But I think the high perception, thought by a slow decline, had some maybe too high on the first impression, but others too low because of the decline. Then his summer league just happened where he was amazing at the same stuff. He could get to the line whenever he wanted. His ISO scoring was on display, and I thought his defense was a little better, but a lot of the same weaknesses in terms of passing and shooting were on display, and I think that had some down on his play because that summer league, he didn't show a ton of obvious, like, way better shooter, way better passer type of growth. And that is, I'm speaking for people right now, but that's kind of why I think some of the fan base didn't have their perception change because he was still the same guy at summer league, and instead ended up being lower than most on Ben. I'm going to talk to you today behind the curtain of one stat on why I am still ridiculously high on Benedict Matherin and why I still very much believe in his future as a very, very good NBA player, and that stat is free throw rate. If you've listened to Locked On Pacers a lot before, you've heard me mention this stat for Matherin before. What is free throw rate? That's a great question. It is the percentage. It's basically a ratio of... The number of free throws you took over the number of field goal attempts you took, right? Ben Matherin this past season took 454 free throws and 951 total shots. That's almost a 50, almost 50% there. So his free throw rate is 0.477, right? 
It's pretty good. In fact, that's so good that it was 13th in the entire NBA. Of every player in the league who qualified for league leaderboards for advanced stats, he had the 13th best free throw rate. And getting to the foul line is very good. It's very efficient. Uh, it generally shows that you can break down a defense and get to buckets to score. Guys who do well in free throw rate either, uh, there's two groups of guys who do well in free throw rate. There's guys who don't shoot very much at all or just take shots around the basket, right? O'Shea Brissett had a very good free throw because he never shot it. And when he did shoot it, that meant it was a great shot, so he got fouled a lot, right? That doesn't mean he's a good creator. But the guys who are really good creators have great free throw rates, right? Here are the, the guys above Matherin in free throw rate last year uh, that aren't big men. Jimmy Butler, uh, Austin Reeves, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Luka Doncic. Everyone else is a big. <laughs> so, And Giannis, I guess, is a big, but he plays on the perimeter, right? Like, it's so hard as a guard to have a free throw rate this high. And he was a rookie who did it. Everyone else was, you know, a forward or a center. Like right behind him is Bancaro and then a bunch of centers and then Dame. And then the next guard is Trey Young. You get the gist. The next guard is James Harden. The next guard is John Morant. The next, you know, the next guard is Jason Tatum. The next guard is Rosen. You get the gist of what I'm saying. If you're a really high level creator, your free throw rate's good because getting to the line is super important. One of the most important things in the league. In fact, of every rookie guard ever in the NBA, he had the 39th best free throw rate this past season. But I'm going to tell you why I think that was a bit of a farce to say. Because the first time I did that query, and I typed that note down, I just did minimum 500 minutes played. So all guards who played 500 minutes. What I didn't do is filter out guys who didn't shoot very much because that's how you get guys like O'Shea Brissett in the mix who got up a bunch of free throws, right? Brissett last year took 145 free throws and took 319 shots. That's a good free throw rate. That's because he never shoots. He took under five shots a game. So his foul count is boosted, even though in past seasons, his free throw attempts were about the same per minute, but he took more shots per minute. So his free throw rate was much lower. So I added on to that query of guys who played 500 minutes as rookies as guards, and I added in that you had to take 500 shots, right? So that means you took 500 shots, and you you actually shot the ball when you played, right? You're taking more than five shots a game. That's about six shots a game. That's still a low number. That's a minimum requirement for this. So this is, this is every rookie guard in NBA history who played 500 minutes, which is not much. That's six minutes a game, and took six shots a game during their rookie season. Where does Matherin's free throw rate rank now among that crew? What Where does his indicator land for this stat? It's 10th ever, 10th all time in this query that I made up. You might be thinking this is very specific. I disagree. I think this is just guys who played a lot and shot a lot and can get to the line. That's a very general way of putting it. Now, let me tell you who the nine guys are who ranked ahead of Ben Matherin in free throw rate as a rookie guard, right? Sarunas so Marshallonis. He's a unique one because he played overseas before coming to the NBA. So he was a rookie because it was his first year in the league, but also was already a very good player. Hall of Famer, right? Guy number one, Hall of Famer. He also barely cracked 500 shots. Player number two, Doc Rivers, now a legendary coach, barely cracked 500 shots and became an all-star one day. Number three, we got to get back to the 50s for a few guys, Tom Gola. Barely cracked 500 shots, but this was in the 50s. Uh, also was a five-time All-Star, made an All-NBA team, and is in the Hall of Fame. Guy number four, my first outlier, because I have never heard of this guy, Jack Stevens. He played one year in 1956. 
I don't know. <laughs> I have nothing to add there. Number five, Daryl Walker, made all rookie, was a meh NBA role player who won a title. That's the first, like, okay, maybe this isn't something. Number six, seven, eight, and nine, though, immediately make you forget about my meh answer because number six was Dennis Johnson, a five-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA player, and a Hall of Famer. Number seven was Oscar Robertson, a 12-time All-Star, and 11-time All-NBA player, and a Hall of Famer. Number eight is Chris Paul, a 12-time All-Star, an 11-time All-NBA player, and going to be a Hall of Famer. And number nine is Magic Johnson, a 12-time All-Star, a 10-time All-NBA player, and a Hall of Famer. And then 10th is Ben Matherin. So did you just hear that? Seven Hall of Famers above him. <laughs> and of that group that I just named, the only guys who shot more than 650 times, which is only, I mean, that's eight shots a game, that's nothing, were Magic Johnson... Chris Paul, and Big O, and Ben Matherin, who shot 900-something shots last year. So if you add in a higher limit for volume, then you're really limited to just some of the best of the best guards ever. Now, this is a one-year sample, and I don't think this is everything, but you can even go a little behind Ben. Number 11, Jerry Stackhouse, two-time All-Star. Number 12, Liddell Eagles, and number 13, this guy, Michael Jordan, who many of you have heard of. Of the top 13, right, you learn that getting to the foul line is massively important to being an efficient scorer and being guarded a certain way and letting your game grow out from there. There's still a lot more to Matherin's game that we'll discuss. This is just a discussion of free throw rate. But getting, you know, there's still holes in some guys' games that are free throw related. I, I did a whole article for Forbes about TJ Warren being an amazing scorer who just could never get to the foul line. That was his huge weakness. For him to be efficient, he had to drill every shot he took. That's why it took him like seven or eight years to be an efficient NBA player. He took fifth, That year he was amazing for the Pacers. Warren took 15 shots a game and took three free throws a game. Right, His free throw rate that year, which was among, actually it was his second best of his career, was 20.5%, less than half of Matherin's. Right? It's harder to be efficient when you have to make every single shot. You have to be really good at threes. Tyrese Halberton this past year, 40% from deep, efficient from all over the court. Ridiculous free throw shooter. Shot 15 times a game. Only took 3.6 free throws per game. His free throw rate, 23.9%. You get the gist. Free throws are efficient, and they're very important. Matherin already has that this early in his career. That usually has meant good things. As I just said, of the top 13 guys who are rookies, who shot a lot and played a lot, Seven of them are Hall of Famers. Over half of this group that Matherin is included in. Nine of them went on to be All-Stars. Ben Matherin is the tenth of them. One of them has one pro season, and then two were solid role players who actually both won titles, too. So Matherin is already a better scorer than either of those role players ever had for a year in their career. So that is just a statistical reference point for how good Matherin was at getting to the line last year. And that is super unusual and rare as a rookie, and it's not gimmicky that he was getting to the line and not taking shots. He was doing both. So what does that mean for him? What does that mean for the Pacers? Well, let's talk about that in segment two with some other players who have played a little more recently as historic comps. Before we do that, though, I want to really quickly talk to you guys about FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel. You'll get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. Sounds great. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That is $200. You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to be the first home run hitter in a game. 
Sounds like Shohei Otani is a good bet. All in an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. That's fast. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. I was on Lockdown NBA twice this week, so I'll say that. Tuesday and Thursday's episodes featured me talking about various topics around the NBA. Jalen Brown, Supermax, James Harden talking about Damian Lillard's trade request, Austin Rivers comments from earlier this week, all sorts of stuff. Uh, you can check that out and other episodes of Lockdown NBA for your second listen today. Let's keep going on Matherin. I want to I add in some other stuff to this. Because there is more of this to say. For example, let's talk about James Harden. James Harden is thought of as a foul-baiting player. And I understand why. He is very gimmicky with the rules, which is why he's kind of become the poster of this. Even though I would say Jimmy Butler's a better guy getting to the line. But James Harden's like the poster guy of this. Let's use him. James Harden's rookie free throw rate was 41.5%. That's very good. That's also 6% less than Ben Matherin, but that's very good. And then his was over 50 for the next seven seasons and then was one season under and then back over the year before he got traded. And he's never dipped below his rookie amount. His last season with Philly, 42.9, was his second lowest season ever and is still very good, right? Harden, the difference between his early career and Ben Matherin's is he started off uh, already as a pretty good shooter, 37.5% from three in his first season. But like Matherin, was not a great passer right away right? Actually, he averaged 1.8 assists per game as a rookie. I don't think many people know that, that he was mostly score early. And granted, he was playing with Russ and KD, but that's barely more than Matherin, right? That is some that is a comp point to say, we've seen someone go from free throw guy to add, also adding other skills, because that's where I want to take this conversation next. But I'll do some other examples. For example, Harden was already a good shooter, but it took him about four years to be that passer. But a lot of stuff hinges for Matherin, like it does for these guys, on development, right? Dwayne Wade, a guy that people have used as a comp for uh, Matherin before. Not sure if using a, one of the best players ever as a comp is ever safe, but hey, whatever. Let's just dive into Dwayne Wade's stats. His rookie year free throw rate, 39.1%, 8% worse than Matherin's, although still very good. He had 4.5 assists per game as a rookie, and that number was consistently pretty solid his whole career. It was over five for his career. It was over seven a few times. He was an all-star like a bajillion years in a row after his rookie year. So he could already pass when he joined the league, but he couldn't shoot, and he never became a good shooter. His best three-point percentage of his career was 33. He was only over 31 twice, which is kind of crazy. Um, so he was never the shooter, but he got good enough getting to the line and at passing to be a dual threat on offense, and the three didn't really matter because he could get to the line, draw fouls, score, and pass right? So that's two examples of guys who are on both ends of the spectrum. They didn't have all three skills, but they had two of them and were good. Now, I, I'm going to just keep rolling through active players to tell you about random paths that I feel like Matherin's career could take. Let's talk about an IU guy, Eric Gordon. I know this sounds random, but I promise this is all going to be tied up by the time this conversation keeps going. Eric Gordon, really good player. Seventh overall pick, was awesome for IU, as many of you know. Um, his rookie year free throw rate was pretty dang good, 38.8%. In fact, his whole career has been solid, but it dipped pretty far when he started playing with Chris Paul and then again with James Harden because on those teams it was like, yo, <laughs> shoot threes, dude. Um, but he, he actually looked like a, he was going to be a really well-rounded scorer. 38.8% free throw rate as a rookie. 
2.8 assists per game. Decent. That got up to 4.4 by his third year. 36.4% from three that third year. In fact, his whole career, he's been a good shooter. He is my guy to say that this is where my personal argument of just really good free throw rate can fall short. Eric Gordon's very good. If Matherin has Eric Gordon's career, that's a success. He was a seventh pick, right? That's one spot behind. But he just like slowly got better at a lot of stuff and became an expert at one of his early skills, and that was three-point shooting. He could just launch him and drill him. And he also was a pretty dang good defender. That's where I'm going to use him as an argument is he was a great defensive player. He still is a pretty good defensive player, although at his age, that is dwindling a little bit. So he is the lesser example of this. He never became an elite creator or an elite shooter, but was very valuable to many good teams, and that's a good outcome. And he can get to the line, which matters. So like and the last guy, Allen Iverson was never a shooter, but he had the passing. His free throw was phenomenal. You get the gist, right? All of these guys I just said had a really good free throw rate to start their career and then got better at something else, whether that's shooting, passing, defending, whatever, while in most cases maintaining their free throw rate, except for Eric Gordon, who had a very strange career as the three-point revolution came in. But that mattered a lot to them evolving and becoming better players, right? They started off as good young talent, for, for certain, I don't want to say that none of those guys were good players as rookies, but they became stars when they added other stuff to their game. Like even AI, who was already this great passer, didn't become an all-star until he hit 34% from deep in his third, in his fourth excuse me season. Now, he was amazing as a scorer already, but he really took off when his three-pointer improved a little bit and it didn't maintain forever, but his steals also jumped. A lot of stuff did for him. AI is amazing. Um, but you get the gist. These guys got better at something else. And so that is where my argument stops. Right, I've spent 17 minutes talking about free throw rate because I think it's important. If you're really good at getting to the line, your floor of efficiency is so high. I talked about this with Dave Sorrell during the season on one of these shows, right? Matherin can have a bad game shooting the ball, and he'll still be efficient because he'll get to the line and get up some foul shots. He had a 57% true shooting this year, despite shooting 43% from the field and 32% from deep because he can get to the line like whenever he wants. And we were talking about him early in the season when he was on a heater. And like he had his first just god-awful scoring game of the season, right? He had 19, 26, 27, 17 to open the year. Then they go into Chicago, and he goes 3 for 11. Terrible. His worst game of the season, 10% worse shooting than he had any other night of that season. But he got to the line 10 times, and he still had four more points than he had shots. He had 15 points that night, right? Like that is what he can do. Two nights later, he's 8 for 16. He gets 10 foul shots up. He scores 32 points. Like he doesn't have to be have it. At, from the field to be efficient and that matters a ton for his upside and floor every single night so i say all of this to say and i'll even get more i'm going to add more stat queries to close out today's show but i'll even say all this to say i get the concerns with matherin right now i think his tunnel vision in summer league was pretty concerning right he had a few just like why were you shooting instead of passing right there kind of moments even though in the second game he did kind of up his passing a little bit his shooting just has to be better right 32.3 percent will never be awesome as an off-ball player. But he's already elite, basically, at something. Like, among the 10-ish best players in the league at something. And that matters, and that is why I'm really high on him. But there also adds in an element here of a challenge of fit, right? Two things matter here. The fit, and if that stat declines. <laughs> Some of the guys I said, like Eric Gordon, when his free throw rate went away, he became a specialist shooter. Matherin doesn't have that right now in his bag. So he's got to maintain it. So if his free throw rate declines, I'll be worried. But if it doesn't, I will always be high on his floor and what his impact can be. The other concerning part of all this that I just said is fit. His path going forward and getting better, obviously being able to get to the line, being an efficient isolation score, that matters a lot, 
right? Your floor of the player is really high. But Tyrese Halbert's better <laughs> right now and is really good. So how does he develop skills that help him pair with Tyrese? Like if you go back and, and remember when Chad Buchanan was you know, talking on that Summer League broadcast about Ben. He was asked about Ben. I cannot remember, unfortunately, who the other announcers were on that ESPN broadcast. He was asked about Ben, and he talked about that passing you know, during that game. I'm trying to find the quote. Yeah, here it is. Chad Buchanan said, he's very good at getting to the rim and drawing fouls. We want to see some more elements of him driving to the rim and making plays for others. Then he added, consistently shooting the ball and becoming a really locked-in defender. So getting to the line and drawing fouls, awesome. So, so, so important. That is the biggest part of why I am so high on him and think he'll be a very good player and he'll be better, maybe not right away next year because his role might be different, but at some point next season and really in his third year, I think he's going to take off. But also... I get the fit part of this. And that is where I think fans who are lower on him have a point is if he's not this awesome passer and he never develops as a shooter, his fit with Tyrese Halburn is not going to be that strong, right? Because Halburn's just amazing with the ball. And so Matherin has to be a secondary creator or a shooter to really maximize that pairing. Those two did fit well together last year. Pacers had a positive net rating with them both out there. But if they're not additive, if they're just doing their own thing, there is a cap to how good they can be together. And so as an individual, I'm very high on Matherin. As in terms of his long-term spot with the Pacers and his pairing with Halliburton, I think there's a little more work to do, even though I think his floor as an efficient player is so high because of this free throw rate. Let's add in some more context to this because boy, do I have stuff to say still. And I'll show you some of the downside risks of this query stuff and continue to talk about fit to close out today's show. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, check out Locked On Spurs. They just made the most recent signing I could come up with in Don Barlow, who's pretty good, by the way, at OTE, and they have Juan Bonilla. So Jeff Garcia has lots of interesting and fun stuff to say about the San Antonio Spurs right now. Let's keep talking about Matherin, right? The fit part of his game matters. I'm really high on his long-term upside, but... Let's add in, let's go back to the query I had earlier, right? Guys who shot a lot and could get to the line as a rookie. Matherin among the best. Awesome. That's great. Let's add in another stat here. Let's add in some assist rate numbers to this. So it's still just rookie guards, high volume scorers, etc. Guys with Matherin's assist rate are lower. Let's add that in. So let's let's talk about Matherin's passing. His assist rate as a rookie. So that's the percentage of assists from him when he's on the floor. 7.6%. That is super low. Like to contextualize 7.6%. Let me sort all the Pacers by assist rate last year. That is um, the same as Jalen Smith, lower than Kendall Brown, lower than Chris Duarte, Trevlin Queen. Like he he ranked 14th on the Pacers in assist percentage. Tyrese Halberton, TJ McConnell, Andrew Nemhart, obviously the top three, but like Buddy Heald basically had double his assist percentage. Like no one thinks of Buddy Heald as a passer. Matherin's not a good passer last year. If you add in his assist rate or lower and also his free throw rate and that shot attempt number. So now this is specific. I agree with this. But there's not that many players who actually made the list. Nine players as a rookie played 500 minutes, took 500 shots, and um, had a 76 Assist rate or lower, ever, right? And regard. So there's eight guys. Matherin is one of them. DeMar DeRozan is one of them. That's a good comp, potentially. It's like a guy who was really efficient, still is, but never developed on defense or as a shooter or a passer. And then the next, the, this is all the rest of the guys who've made the, meet the query. Josh Okoji, Ben McLemore, Tim Hardaway Jr., Courtney Lee, John Lazowski, John Long, and as a rookie with the Pacers, Brandon Rush, right? 
that is, you look at that and you go, oh man, you know, there is a limit on what you can be if you can't be the passer. Now, Matherin is already, after one year, right, he just averaged 17 points a game. He's already a better scorer than all those guys, but DeRozan, and maybe like the absolute best season of Tim Hardaway Jr.'s career, but then DeRozan, he's already better than than all those guys as a score, right? So that this isn't a perfect science, certainly, and all these players are different. I'm just using stats for historical comps, but it, the, the biggest takeaway you should have from that is it's pretty rare to have an assist percentage as low as Matherin and have the ball enough to do a lot of that stuff I just said. And so that is, again, going back to the fit thing, the clearest growth need for Matherin to me, passing, right? He can get by his defender in isolation. That's why he's drawing fouls. He's either ahead of his defender or someone's rotating over to stop him. So someone's rotating over. If he can pass, just a simple pass, he'd be so much better. And it would change the way he's defended and perceived when he gets the ball. It's not just going to be a shot. The defense has to look out for their man and think more. And it's all just so important, right? I thought that was an absolutely fascinating addition to the query. If you'd like to look at these stat head queries, shoot me a message. Please, on Sunday, though, I'll be gone for the next two days. So that is, if you're a person who's lower on him, a part where you could go, oh, he has to be better at that or shooting or else this is this this could run into a wall where it's like, yeah, we get it. You can isolation score, but if that's cut off, what can you do? Who knows? Because that list, I mean, a lot of the, like everybody on that list had or is having currently like a decent to long NBA career. Like they're good players, but there's clearly a cap on that, right? So that's interesting. I thought that was an interesting addendum I wanted to throw in. Now, let's go back <laughs> to the first list I had, which was just rookie guards who took 500 shots and played 500 minutes, right? So everybody from the first 200 players, right? So that is the free throw rate of the best ever, which was Sarunas Marshall-Onish, all the way down to the 200th best rookie ever, right? If you sort them by assist rate, that top 200 guys, Matherin's is 182nd out of 200, right? So he's just got to add the passing. Like of every rookie guard, this isn't just including the ones with assist percentage of his or lower. Like that's bad. That's rough. So that number has to, has to, has to be better. I think that is clearly the biggest like negative of his game right now. The numbers back it up. Historically, it's just a very unique combination of numbers that he has in terms of like, oh my gosh, you can do what at the foul line, but you can't pass at all, right? It's super rare. So he's got to, got to, got to be better at passing. Let's do the same exercise, right? The top 200 rookie guards ever in free throw rate and sort them by three-point percentage. Matherin is 120th-ish. I didn't actually type the exact number. I should have. I don't know why. I put like 120th. Good work by me there. Um, so close to average, but 32.3%, not great. Like 35%, I remember being about the 100th player. So the median of that group, he's still like 3% short of. So he's got to get that number up right? If you don't get that number up, you end up in this tier of guys that like you could be, you know, you're Eric Gordon, Tyreek Evans, Victor Oladipo types, really, where you're not like the greatest passers or shooters, one or the other. And that's a good player. Like all those guys were good <laughs> and had good careers. Obviously people maybe a little sour. That's all funny. I didn't even mean to do the Indiana ties for all those guys. You know, the injuries derailed Depot and Tyreek Evans career fell off a cliff, but like they're all, they all had good careers. They're all good players. But that is not this super high bar that I've been talking about this whole show. I'm really high on him. I think he's going to be an all-star in the future at some point, Ben Matherin. None of those guys. Well, Oladipo's peak he did. And hey, that's funny. I'll actually use this as a comparison. When Oladipo hit his peak, what happened? Right? You all saw it. Watching the Pacers. His assists went up and his threes went in. <laughs> his first season hitting over 36% from three was the Pacers in 2017-18. His first all-star appearance. His first season with more than 4.1 assists per game was with the Pacers that season. And he was an all-star. The next season was his only season ever with his assists over five. Right? Like, you get the gist. He got better at shooting and passing. So, 
you know, if he's got to get, a, if he only gets better at one and he's still very limited with the other, he could be in that good players tier I just said, but not elite. But some of those guys are better defenders too. If he can get better on defense, he could lap some of these guys with how good he is at getting to the line. He could just be so much better. But free throws are so hard to get up at volume, and Matherin already can, that I still think it might not matter. Now, let me let me wrap up with this point. Using the same exercise I just said, the top 200 rookie guards ever who played a lot and shot at least six shots a game, right, about, in their rookie season. He was, remember what I just said, 120th-ish in three-point percentage. But where did he rank in true shooting percentage? 12th. 12th out of all 200. Why? Because he was better at getting to the line than almost all those guys, right? He was 10th at getting to the foul line in that. Like, MJ was like third, I believe, in that, right? So the numbers say that even though he has this very limited passability right now and his shooting fell off a cliff, he's so good at getting to the line, like, that he's a step above even some of the better rookies ever at doing so, that he's got a high floor as an ISO score and and efficient player because he's that good at getting to the foul line. And so in conclusion, this is why I am higher on Ben Matherin than I feel like a lot of the fan base right now. He can get to the foul line so well, and that makes him a very efficient floor player. And I believe that going into year two, three, four, whatever, he will get better at either one of the shooting or passing. All he has to do by the end of his rookie contract is be either 36% for three or like four assists a game, one or the other, and he becomes an awesome player, so hard to guard. He'll definitely get better at defense with his body type and athleticism, right? He he gets coached hard. He says all the right stuff. He's just got to get better at one of those things. But if he doesn't, then he'll be a good but not awesome player, and that's where the fit concerns with Tyrese Halliburton come in because that's the other point I will give everybody else is the fit part of this matters a lot. If he is a 33% three-point shooter his whole career, and his passing is limited to the level it was as a rookie, which is unreasonable. Every player gets better. But if, then there's going to be some fit concerns with Tyrese Halliburton. But because I think he's so good at getting to the line, because I believe he'll get better as a passer like every young player ever to some extent, and because I think his shot will improve, I'm very high on Ben Matherin. I'm very high on how he will play with the Pacers, but I'm very curious how much better he will get at the things that maximize his fit with Halliburton versus how much he will maintain what he's already good at as he steps forward in his career. And the elephant in the room to close is, if his free throw rate dips and it gets closer to like 40-35%, then you have to start asking a lot of questions about his positive value. What he, Not positive value. He'd still be a good player at that number. But like, what is he really, what is his best role for the Pacers in the league, whatever. But getting, I mean, a top 15 free throw rate as a rookie, what he was just able to do, six attempts a game is so, so impressive. And that is why, for my last show of this week, I wanted to ramble about Benedict Matherin for 31 minutes. Thank you, Craig, for making me talk about this. Thanks to Stadhead for the many queries I ran to talk. And thank you for getting this far in the episode next week. The last episode of July on Monday, we'll talk about moves the Pacers can still make this summer, wrap up July with one more free agency episode, and then it's August. And so I will do no more transactional talk until the Pacers do make a move at that point. So instead, next week, we'll start a few historical fun off-season projects. We'll do a mailbag next week. Uh, I want to do on August 1st, the 2nd, the 2nd, um, a look back 
at the three-year anniversary of TJ Warren's 50-point game against the Sixers and a couple other fun shows coming up. And then we'll transition to a few fewer episodes per week until closer to training camp. Really looking forward to all this. So I have a lot of fun off-season projects planned this year and have started the hunt for some player interviews. We'll see if I'm able to get any without going through some annoying channels. Thank you all so much for listening today. Hope this was an enjoyable episode and you learned something about Ben Matherin. I'm on Twitter at Tony R. East or X or whatever it's called now. And you can comment down below on YouTube if you have other thoughts about Ben Matherin. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you soon. <laughs>